and welcome once again to Raging and Eating, my podcast. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, owner and executive chef of the Raging Skillet, New York's wildest catering company. And here we are again, ready to party. So today, it is not midnight. I usually tape these around midnight when I'm feeling all sultry and sexy. And today, actually, I just finished eating an apple that tasted delicious and sipping a little tequila. And I'm still feeling sultry and sexy. But I'm thinking about something kind of fun. I started a conversation with Charmaine, my maitre d'. And Charmaine is sort of my other half of my catering business. She runs the front of the house. I run the back of the house. And we're really just a great team. And we had this conversation, what would you do if you knew it was your last day doing this for a living? In our case, being a caterer for a living. But let's say you're a school teacher or a banker or, you know, whatever. What would you do if you knew it was your very last day doing for a living what you do for a living? So we just started kind of getting hysterical with the thought of it because how liberating it would be. I mean, all right, I'm a very nice person. I have to say, I think I'm a pretty nice person. And Char is a really nice person. She's actually nicer than I am. But we tend to take a lot of crap. I mean, being a caterer, you really have to deal with a lot of neurosis. And especially, I'm a wedding caterer. That's like the granddaddy of all neurosis. I mean, just yesterday, I had the craziest phone call I was in the office with Cece, my office manager, who is a god. We just love her. And mostly, she packs the parties for me, which means running up and down and getting the salt and pepper and coffee and olive oil and a million things that we have to bring when we go off to cater a party. And it's really wonderful because then I don't have to. And I love that. But I digress, as usual. Anyway, so the phone rings... And it's this guy, and let's just call him, hmm, I gotta come up with a good name for him. Let's just call him, hmm, wait, wait, it's coming, it's brewing. No, that's not right. Sergio. All right, let's call him Sergio, because I once knew a Sergio who was really a total dingleberry, so. Sergio. Anyway, so Sergio calls, and he says, I have a one o'clock appointment with you. Now, I knew I didn't have a one o'clock appointment with anyone. So I said, Sergio, let me just get your number. I'll call you right back. And I ran and I checked my files and I looked on the internet and I looked at my emails. I didn't have a one o'clock appointment with anyone. I had no idea who this guy was. It was kind of freaking me out. So, you know, a lot of clients make phone appointments, especially since COVID blew in. And I hope it blows out. Instead of coming in person and meeting, they schedule phone appointments. But I didn't have any appointment with anyone. Anyway, so I call Sergio back. And he's like, well, yes, I'm getting married in a year and a half. And I'd like to discuss some particulars with you. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we didn't have an appointment. All right. So we start talking. And he didn't really ask any questions and he wasn't really giving a lot of information so I just figured all right so I proceeded to tell him everything I had to tell him this is the price range of what it might be 
this is um, what works in that space. I gave him a ton of information and he didn't say a word every time I would tell him something and he wouldn't say anything. So finally, I'm like, I'm talking to myself. I don't even think this guy is on the phone. And a couple of times I said, Sergio, you're still there? And he kind of went, yeah, yeah. I'm like, all right. So after 35 minutes of basically talking to a wall, I said, Sergio, I have to go now. I'm quite busy. And he said, well, you can't go. We have 25 more minutes. And I said, what do you mean we have 25 more minutes? And he said, well, I booked you till 2 o'clock. And I'm like, you booked me? I mean, first of all, nobody's booked me, I think, ever. I don't know, since I was a teenager. I don't even know what it means to book me. But I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, I have 1 to 2 o'clock with you, and we have 25 more minutes. Well, it took every ounce of strength I had to not crawl through the phone and uh, punch him in the nose. But I'm not that kind of girl, am I? And so I said, "Um, well, I didn't schedule talking to you on the phone for an hour. I didn't schedule talking to you on the phone at all, actually. And 35 minutes is quite some time to talk. So how about uh, if we just end the call and and you can email me if you have more questions? Because at this point... I really wanted to get away from this guy. And he said, well, don't you want to cater my wedding? It was very odd. The whole thing was very odd. So I'm like, here I gave him a ton of information. He didn't listen to any of it. And then when he asked questions, he asked questions that I had just finished telling him everything for. And then he wanted, I don't know, 25 more minutes of blood. It was very, it was very, very odd. And uh, Cece was listening to the whole thing, also kind of freaked out. So I just calmly said, yes, of course. Please email me your questions and we'll take it from there. I'm sorry because I'm just a bit busy. I got off the phone. I was really freaked out. And in fact, I really was pretty busy. I had like all kinds of things to do. I had like 20 events I was planning, but I couldn't get over it you need to stay on the phone for 25 more minutes because I booked you for an hour. And I'm like, this is just crazy talk. So I started having this conversation with Shar about it. And I said, wow, well, if it really was my very, very last day in the business, I probably would have told him to bug off, maybe in a very colorful way. But I'm not, I'm not that kind of person, you know, so I wouldn't be mean. I wouldn't say F off or use bad language. Um, but, uh, you know, it might have been fun to tell him what I thought of his commentary. I, what I would have liked to have said honestly was, Sergio, I spent 35 minutes giving you an enormous amount of information. You didn't listen to anything I said because clearly you were checking your email while you were talking to me. And then you wanted 25 more minutes of my time because you had a superiority complex for some reason. I have never met you, but I'm going to assume you have very, very small genitalia. That would have been a nice thing to say. But I digress, of course. Anyway, I'm not the kind of person. I wouldn't do that. But, you know, we're just riffing here. So Shara and I had this really funny conversation. What if it was your last day in the business? And so the short answer is, if it was my last day in the business, I would be profoundly honest But in fact, 
if I think about it, I've been in business now since, wow, since 1988. That's a long time. So I have been pretty much profoundly honest almost all of the time. Not the first couple of years I was in the business. The first couple of years I was in the business, I was attempting to sell corporate catering. And I would attempt to put on a business suit and meet with corporate clients and try to sell them these really boring corporate lunches and talk about things like lobster thermidor. I mean, what the hell is lobster thermidor anyway? And I was madly bored. And I realized I couldn't do it because I couldn't lie. I was so bored and I, could, I couldn't hide it and everyone knew it. And so I'm like, I'm going to go out of business if I keep pretending to be something that I'm not. So ultimately, I changed my company to the Raging Skillet, which right away scared away the boring people. And then for the most part, things have been okay ever since. But occasionally there are moments when I'm in a situation of, do I lie or do I tell the truth? And telling the truth could cause quite a scene. But I'll give you an example. So I had a client, it was her 30th birthday party. She was spectacularly wealthy. Her parents owned one of the most successful, very elitist department stores in New York City. And I will not tell you which one, but just think of the snottiest, most elitist department store in New York City. And this was um, summer, and she was in a convertible on her way to the Hamptons. And she called me and she conference called in her party planner who was equally snobby and pretentious. And he was in a convertible on his way back from the Hamptons. And somehow they got me in a three-way call with their cell phones and their convertibles going back and forth from the Hamptons. And I had this whole menu planned for her 30th birthday party. She uh, was a of a Mediterranean origin and she wanted lamb as an entree and I had a beautiful lamb planned for her and so she had an epiphany and this is why she wanted to call me and her epiphany was that she really liked lamb and she really liked raspberry jelly so she thought she would like to have raspberry jelly on the lamb and that would be her personal touch for her party. And so I thought about it for a moment. And I said, well, I'm very sorry. I just can't do that. And you could almost hear the 10 car pile up as she's screeching on the LIE in her convertible. Because I don't think anyone had ever said no to her. And so she said, well, why on earth not? And I said, well, because that would be disgusting. And so, this is a long pause. I'm just assuming that I'm fired. She's going to go off and find a caterer who's willing to lick her tushy like everyone else. And, you know, I'll lose the party. But, you know, I kept my soul intact because serving lamb and raspberry jelly would have really hurt my kishkas. But... She says instead, okay, without a fight. And from that point on, proceeded to treat me with enormous respect. I think her party planner was stunned. I, she never had anyone say no to her. Anyway, it worked really well. 
But it was a good lesson for me right in that moment. Just always tell the truth. And, you know, there's lots of ways to soften the blow. I mean, sometimes I have clients who ask me for ridiculous things and I tell them the truth and they just don't care. Like, I have a bar mitzvah coming up and the party planner filled the location with so many things for the bar mitzvah boy, so many games and things, that they actually didn't leave any room for the kitchen. So because of that, we have to set up a tent outside of the party location and put the kitchen in the tent, which is very, very far from where people are eating. So that means every time a waiter brings an hors d'oeuvre or any kind of food, they're traveling, I don't know, 100 feet, you know, pretty far. Not to mention the fact that it's going to be cold and rainy. And so the hot food coming from the tent far away in the cold and the rain all the way to where the guests are so far away is not going to be hot anymore. So I try to explain that delicately to the party planner that it's too far away and your food's going to get cold. And uh, they didn't really care because having a kitchen in the location was simply an inconvenience. Um, They want to have beautiful food, but they don't want to do anything whatsoever to help that happen. So I just sort of threw my hands in the air and I said, okay, we're just going to have some beautiful room temperature food. What can I do? But at least I told them how I felt and I moved on. But if it was my very, very last day in the industry, I think I might have been a little more colorful in my response. And I think I might have said something like, you hired me for beautiful food, and yet you've moved my kitchen to Siberia, where my staff is going to have to travel so far to feed your guests that by the time they get there, your guests may be leaving. So why don't you instead have one less game and let me have a kitchen in the location so I can serve hot food, or else take your entire floor plan roll it up very tightly, and insert it rectally. Okay. All right, that wasn't very nice, I know. I am on a riff. I'm sorry. Anyway, you can blame all of this on Charmaine, who got me in this conversation of what would you do if it's your very last day in the industry. Now, let's say you are a school teacher, and it's your very last day, and you know you're not going to be a teacher anymore. Like, sometimes I think about my father, He taught school for 35 years, sixth grade for 35 years. And he had some horrible kids, some really bratty kids. And he had some lovely kids. I mean, he did get a lot of presents come Christmas time, but he was a bit of a strict teacher, so they might have been sucking up to him for better grades. He came home with lots of coffee mugs and chocolates and things. But sometimes I think about what he did or what he wanted to do on his very last day teaching school. Now, my father was an honorable man, so, and these are children. You can't be mean to children. But I wonder if he was tempted with some of the really, really rotten kids in his class to just tell them a few things. You know, no curse words, nothing like that, but just to say, uh, Vinny, I just want you to know you've been a pain in my derriere for a year now. I think you're going to grow up to be just as much of a loser as you are now. Now get on out of here. But you know what? My father wouldn't do that. He was a good man. 
that's why you got so many chocolates and coffee mugs. So I don't know if there's a moral to this conversation. What would you do on your last day of work? I think maybe it's maybe you should just do it all along. So if on my last day of work, I'm going to be bluntly honest. Well, you know what? I really kind of have been doing that all along. Okay, I didn't tell anyone to roll up their floor plan and insert it rectally. I haven't done that. But I would like to do that before I die. So I'll put that on my bucket list. But for the most part, I tell the truth and it makes me happy. It really doesn't make you happy to not tell the truth. Now, I know this is an odd segue since we're talking about floor plans inserted rectally and things like that. But I have been catering some interesting weddings. And what's been interesting is that I've been catering so many weddings and the people are so different. So I had one couple that they didn't really seem, well, they didn't seem very much in love, to tell you the truth. And I think that the bride just wanted to be married so badly that she married the very first guy who popped the question, or maybe she popped the question, I don't know what. But she had a date in mind. I think she was turning 30 or turning 40 or something. I don't know. And so she just wanted to get married, and that was it. So she got married, but she was fairly unpleasant to deal with and more about the details and what was good for show. Everything had to be showy. Lots of sparkle and lots of glitter. Not literal glitter, but you know what I mean. Lots of bling. And not a lot of love. And it was kind of a crappy feeling inside to cater that wedding because it wasn't pleasant to be around two people getting married who weren't in love and just were doing it because they had to do it before they bride turned 40. I think it was 40, you know. But I still gave them gorgeous food and you never know. You know what? You never know. Maybe they will fall in love. And lots of people get married who are not in love. I mean, I think a lot of religious people I know in the community of Orthodox Jews very often, they don't even know each other when they get married. Sometimes they fall in love after, but I wouldn't do it that way. Anyway, Then, after that, we catered a wedding of a couple who were a little bit older. They were both in their 40s. They'd never been married before. They just never got around to it. They never needed to. They'd been going out for 18 years and finally decided to get married. And they were deliriously happy. Now, so many of my brides just refuse to eat during their wedding. I think because their dress is too tight or they're too nervous or they don't want to ruin their makeup or all of the above. And that always makes me sad. I always do everything I can to get them to eat. But this couple were deliriously happy and made it very clear from the second they walked in the door that they were going to eat at their wedding. And you know what? We fed them all night long. We always make a poo-poo platter and send it into their private little boudoir where they go to be alone right after the ceremony and then re-emerge in the cocktail hour. We gave them a little bit of everything so they wouldn't miss anything. And usually the bride and groom will eat one or two things and it all comes back and makes me sad. Well, in this case, they ate their entire poo-poo platter and asked for a second poo-poo platter. Now, that is my kind of bride and groom. And they were so happy and they were dancing and they got us dancing. And the music was great. They even were playing Devo. You remember Devo? 
um, I think it was Whip It, Whip It, dun, 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 Crack That Whip, you know that Devo song, all right, leave me alone, anyway, it was Devo, and anyone who plays Devo at their wedding is all right with me, because Devo rocks, I went to see them, actually, when they first started out, and I was a teenager, in Convention Hall in Asbury Park, and it was one of my very first rock concerts, seeing Devo, lots of fun. Anyway, I'm going all around the world. Now I'm going to come back again and just tell you that with that lovey-dovey couple, we did some gorgeous food. I've been doing some beautiful food lately. And so we did beautiful sweet potatoes that we cooked. We roasted them in olive oil and salt and pepper. And then we melted butter and brown sugar and tossed the sweet potatoes up in the butter and brown sugar and served it to everyone family style. It was beautiful. And I did a short rib. Let me tell you something about short ribs. I used to be afraid to cook them because they were so labor intensive because we'd cook them on the bone and then take the bone off. There was lots of trimmings and you had to shape them and mold them. It would take three days. This time around, I got my butcher to give me some beautiful boneless short ribs. They were gorgeous. We marinated them in olive oil. Had trouble saying that. Marinate. We marinated them in olive oil, salt, and pepper. Simple. And seared them on all sides. Got a nice sear on all sides. Put them in a baking pan. And then in that same pot that we'd seared the short ribs in, I threw in sliced onions and carrots and celery. Cooked that forever. And when it was nice and soft and brown... Then I threw in a can of tomato paste. I cooked that until the tomato paste started to char. And then I poured in an entire bottle of really nice dry red wine. You don't have to get million dollar red wine, but you want a nice dry red wine. It could be cheap, it could be $8, but something you would be willing to drink. And cooked that down and I poured in a whole quart of a beautiful, beautiful beef stock and cooked that down. Cooked it till it didn't taste like wine anymore and poured all of that over my short ribs in my baking pan and foiled the top tightly. It went in the oven at 350 degrees for, mm, well, we put it in for two hours. We pulled it out, checked it out, made sure there was enough liquid. We actually pulled it out after an hour and checked the liquid was great. Then two hours we checked liquid was great. In the end, it took about two and a half hours. Beautiful. Now at that point, I took my short ribs out, let them cool, and I put the whole thing in the refrigerator overnight. The next day, I pureed all those vegetables and the wine and the stock and made this beautiful, thick, gorgeous sauce, poured it over my short ribs back in the hotel pan, boiled it up again, and put it in the oven for about 15, 20 minutes. It was the most spectacular meal ever. And you know what? I didn't give it to a client. I served it as staff lunch. Best staff lunch of the universe. And what do we have with it? We had some fall vegetables, some beautiful roasted sweet potatoes, and some barbecued corn. That was a gorgeous thing. And some Yukon gold potatoes, and some fresh rosemary. I mean, we didn't have champagne, but we might as well have. It was just a beautiful staff meal. So, you know, the thing is, if you're going to make beautiful food for other people, you have to make beautiful food for your staff, too. 
Because if your staff is suffering and your staff is eating mediocre, crappy food, they're not going to be able to make beautiful food for other people. So, when I guess if it was my very last day of catering, what I would do, make a beautiful, beautiful staff meal for my wonderful chefs who I adore. And maybe open a bottle of sparkling rosé. And... um then tell that party planner to roll up her floor plan and insert it rectally. I guess I would have to do that. You know, nobody's perfect. So, if you're a crossing guard and it's your very last day at work, well, you don't want anyone to get hurt. Don't go there. But maybe try doing a little dance. There was a crossing guard for many years in Provincetown, Massachusetts. They called him the dancing cop. He wasn't a crossing guard. He was a police officer but he was at the most crowded intersection in the summer anyway, in Provincetown. And his job was to tell the people on Commercial Street to go this way and the people going across Commercial Street to Bradford Street to go that way, you know, the cars, and then to tell the people when they could walk. And it was a lot, it was a really crowded little um, intersection. But what he used to do was he would dance while he did it. He treated every day that he went to work like it was his last day at work. People loved it. Some people would just come and watch the show. This was not a young man. The last time I saw him at the intersection, he had white hair. He must have been in his 60s. And he would blow his whistle and motion for the cars to come and do a little spin. And blow his whistle and motion for the people to walk and do a little spin. And it's like the most amazing thing. This was a guy who was bringing joy and into being a, a cop at a crowded intersection. I just loved it. I never forgot it. He was an example of how, how to live, how to live every day of your life. So I guess I would say, first of all, if you do eat meat, make some beautiful short ribs because they're really awesome. You know, you need to have two and a half hours of cooking time and maybe a half hour of prep time and searing time. So, And they're really best the next day, which is what I really love about them. So cook them the day before. But more importantly, why not live every day of your life, of your working life anyway, like it's the last day of your working life? Why not put that kind of joie de vivre and pleasure into it? Okay, maybe if you're saying on the last day, that you're working at Walmart, you will tell everyone in Walmart to F off. So then, no, you cannot do that every day of your working life because you'll be fired. But maybe every day of your working life, you could have a little joie de vivre, have a little bit of flair, have a little bit of fun, have a little bit of zing. Let it all go, like as if tomorrow you're off to a different place, you know. Maybe you could try that. I don't know. I'm just riffing here. You can blame it all on Charmaine. She got me thinking this way. And um, there you have it. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, for Raging and Eating, my podcast. And as always, food is love, and so are you. Now go off and have some joie de vivre. And make some short ribs, too. Adios. Mm -hmm.